From Chicano Lynchings by Anthony Orozco, Jr. Long before the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo was drafted and signed, before my birthplace was even known to be American soil, California was the richest part of Mexico's bright and vibrant culture, a place of farmlands and missionaries, pueblos formed by Spanish soldiers and indigenous natives. My ancestors were never foreigners to these lands, our angel warriors resting amongst the holiest of heroes, who once proved their worth roaming through the planet's most treacherous lands, proving they were way more worthy than your humble servant, the Deliverant. Buenas mañornings, mis compadres. Uh, let me translate that for you, um, for the language impaired who are fixated on only your mother tongue of Americanizo. That was, wake up, fuckers, got another deliverance for you. We're loosely translated. So, um... And I'm going to endeavor to speak as cleanly as possible because I've been getting guidance from my speech coach that apparently I use too many, whatever those things are called, space holders. And I'm just going to fall in love with the silence between my lovely word choices. So count how many uhs or uh, or, uh, I say, and you might win a prize, a nice greasy taco. So... Last night, unremarkable, I was exhausted, so I didn't drive and drive and drive and drive. I just drove and drove. And there's a a regular liquor store that I'm always happy when I go to. The guys that helm it responsibly like me, hell, the old dude even said that he loved me. And you know what? I think he was being genuine. I, I had a hard time really knowing if it was true or not because he's based on my interpretation of his accent and just demeanor and and yeah the fact that he had no problem as a man telling another man they loved him obviously isn't a native of where i come from (laughs) Uh, you know because uh, i'll let you figure that out um yeah but um, it was so pleasant because I'd been away for a while up north and he, he remembered me. You know, we all want to be in people's lives enough so that they develop feeling for us, right? I mean, it can be in the negative feeling column, but the worst thing is just to be forgotten or ignored, right? Pay attention to me! Anyway, so I'm back and yes, he was like, you're one of the nicer delivery drivers i'm like nicer come on dude i'm the i'm the nicest i'm the best just say it with me i'm the best he wouldn't go that far but you know i always push the envelope what can i say don't know when to quit so the point of the story is uh i just had a couple deliveries there so just uh inside tip often what'll happen 
with uh, one of the companies I work for is you'll be uh, offered uh, delivery, you take it, and then somewhere along the way to the delivery site, they just add another delivery to you. Now, I'm pretty sure you can block that from happening, but there's a few things to know about that process. Number one, on my end, I don't have any control over it like I do with the original pickup. So, and this has happened more than a few times, they give you the, oh, this is a pretty sweet pickup, right? Sweet pickups are, it's very close to you so you don't burn your own gas and money and engine. And the delivery is medium distance or longer depending on what you're figuring you want to deliver for, right? Because it's all about the pickup and drop off. Pick up and drop off. Uh, you don't want it to be too extreme or you'll end up in a place where you won't get another delivery for a while or when you do you'll have to drive hella far to get it thus negating whatever profit you made previously everything is built on the previous delivery and you have this kind of running game going on in your head calculating okay how much am i spending in gas what's the mileage and uh is there anything about this order that is going to come around and bite me in the ass that's what i'm always thinking because hello i am a catastrophist not my terminology for myself it has been applied to me without my permission but i am owning it for the purposes of this broadcast so i get to the liquor store and of course i'm greeted by my uh friend oh i said uh gosh so hard not to fill things up we hate the silence enjoy the silence now i am waiting because the second order has come in um which thank goodness turned out to be actually pretty decent however here's the other thing that happens you get a second order and the delivery company immediately assumes because this was a gift to you and you're picking up at, at one location that they give you a severe discount. Uh, I have it in my records somewhere because I took a picture of it. I got three of these, right? Multiple orders. And I literally made uh, under $4. So the formula that they use is entirely bent towards making them a profit. You can't make money even if you pick up the same place <laughs> three orders uh, because there's time, there's always some fucked up thing that happens that causes you to have to deal with uh, an issue that keeps you from finishing the order so you can get another order. Right? The key to this business is also as many orders as you can and as much as shortest amount of time, obviously. So, uh, I know I'm a brilliant economics person masquerading as a delivery driver. It's just part of my humble act. Don't mind me. Now, the heart of this particular deliverant is possibly my relationship with these cool guys who are from different places. The gentleman that I ended up talking to wasn't the old dude. I, I still don't know his name, which I, is kind of cool. Although he knows mine because he gets it all the time. I I'll have to ask him his name at some point so I can really tease him. Um, but these are just jocular guys, you know, always out smoking or doing something and waiting for people to come in and get the drink on. And so this, this young guy, uh, young means anybody who's uh, 10 years my junior, which now is probably more than half the population, because I'd be old. Yo. He asked his buddy to go fill 
um, the other order because it's the popular drink of the age now, which is seltzer, which you're basically paying for water with a tiny little dribble of alcohol in it, in case you didn't know, right? Um, but go ahead, drink it and feel like you're uh, on top of the fucking world when you're not really tasting anything. It, but it doesn't have any calories. It hardly has any alcohol in it. But I'm paying for less. You always pay more for what they take out. Just words of wisdom from Master. Now, I'm getting to the point. Point is, the gentleman I talked to, behind him, there's a whole array of, of interesting alcohols and liqueurs. And I happen to make cordials and uh, liqueurs and alcohols in my other life, teach people how to do it. Totally different thing. And so, of course, I'm interested, and I drink, but I mostly drink because I find alcohol to be an interesting um, concept, just the whole thing about it. Uh, so I look up, and the far left bottle on the corner, like very specifically placed, is one of those little portable bottles, maybe, I don't know, whatever they are, eight ounces roughly, whatever in milliliters that is. And it's got this phenomenal label on it, right? It says Mezcal, which I happen to love uh, actually quite a bit more than tequila. Don't get me wrong. I will drink tequila happily. However, given the choice, I love that smoky Mezcal flavor because it's it's close to the real thing. Uh, you know, the predate of all the, um, you know, in my opinion, probably a little bit overly dilettante tequilas we have now i just i just like the raw you know authentic stuff um because you know obviously i come from uh ancestors who made moonshine now uh the name of the the, the label for this bottle is illegal which for those of you who do not speak anything other than american ish means illegal See how that works? Very similar in some ways. They're called cognates. I think that's what the term is, if I remember my college Spanish training. <laughs> anyway, I'm like, oh, this is perfect. That means whoever drinks this, <laughs> they have to confront this whole concept, right? Uh, it just cracks me up. And so the, the coolest part of this story, which I'm finally getting to after five minutes of nattering nabobs of negativism, is that this uh, caused me to ask this dude about uh, this particular brand, is any good? He's like, yeah, he's, and, and he says, you know, uh, you know, basically back in the day, um, he and his grandfather used to make mezcal, and he had the Spanish term for it, which I don't want to insult by um, Bastardizing, but I think it's pendejo. No, if I remember, that no, it's not. That's it's an joke. Anyway, um, and I'm not going to define that what that is because that's a particular uh, Spanishism that certain people find funny as an insult. Uh, Mr. Pendejo, Senior Pendejo. That's what you are, my listener. So, um, anyway, he just kind of regaled me with this like two minute tale because that's all we had before I had to slog off to the seltzer people um, and the other oh, what inferior beverage did they get? I don't know, Sauvignon Blanc or something, you know. Uh, uh, cheap wine for... Uh, I'm almost going to say something PC, but I'll just think it. Here it comes. Uh, see? I can practice restraint. And it was, it was cool. He just told me what it was like, you know, and it's everything I've read about and heard about, but now I got it from the source. 
he and his granddad would go out, you know, and they they grew it. So they didn't harvest it wild, which was also done in, in northern Mexico, and still is, I hope, uh, hopefully in a sustainable way. And they they chop off, you know, the the leaves, the arms of the maguey, uh, agave, and uh, dig a big pit, and they'd bury it. And then he was trying to remember what they what they use for wood to to you know. Um, heated up with because that's a whole idea. They, they slow roasted for three days, right, in this anaerobic environment, and then uh, they remove the covering that they've got over it to protect it and the dirt and everything, and they put it in a big. And of course, he had a he had a, another uh, Spanish term for it, which I I don't remember because I don't want to uh, come up with it improperly. But it's uh, um, um, pendejo, and really? so. They uh, then cooked it down into this mush, you know, and then they strained it out. No, they let it sit for another, like, period of time, like a few days, I guess. And it fermented on its own with some kind of wild yeast, I guess, and, and made alcohol. He, he, I asked him, he said he didn't really add anything to it. You know, it's just the pure plant, which is super cool. And then at some point along the way, right, the mezcal, the big distinction if you're not a drinker, which I feel bad if you're not, but I understand, is between tequila and mezcal is the smokiness, right? So it captures that joie de vivre, that uh, terroir, that, that sense of smoky deliciousness uh, that is a part of this process in the drink itself. So you're not just drinking uh, the drink, you're drinking the process of how the drink was made, right? Is it really smoky? You know, do they use mesquite? You know, and all these other adjectives that people are applying to alcohol these days who have no business doing it because uh, it doesn't taste like, uh, you know, pewter ground up in large vessels and put into a small child's toy flavor. You know, all those appellations that are just so beyond my kin. Anyway, point taken and uh, point given is it was just really cool to hear this guy's story about what it was like to make mezcal with his grandpa and have that experience and now he's in a completely different environment where he sells the stuff and what a cool perspective that must be to not just be an expert on the you know retail end of the uh, alcohol business but to have had made actual alcohol itself and uh, to have that as part of your cultural heritage because it's a pretty important thing and super cool that he shared that story with me and felt comfortable about it uh, because I had to uh, go by what the bottle said and, and turn him in and I got my $20 bonus uh, from my job as an undercover agent for the customs and uh, border patrol people officially known as La Migra Pendejo uh, Vate Cuate Tu Madre Sun Anyway, as you can tell, I'm kidding. I would never do that. Um, because why? What's the point? No human being is illegal. That's some bullshit made-up term. Uh, should we have borders? Yes. Should we have good fences? Yes. Do good fences make good neighbors? Yes. And we can argue about those details. But the current environment that we're in, just to get on my political rap here right now, where uh, we've demonized uh, people who aren't white, let's just have it out, because we're not going after those illegal Canadians jumping across the border in droves, A, to get their 
free poutine off of the taxpayers' backs. Yeah, you hoser. You know, it's just, uh, man, so unnecessary. So unnecessary. Yeah, fix the problem. Don't make it worse and then pretend you're solving it by lying to us. I'm just not into it. All right? So, via Condoro, Tostitos. Excerpted from Chicano Lynchings by Anthony Orozco, Jr. Now, I'm only going to say this once. Don't ever refer to me as being a fucking spick. Don't ever look down on us for holding true to our roots. Don't forget we grow your food, mow your lawns, build your houses, and think this country could never function without us. You heathens intend to cleanse me barrio in the name of God, hanging his children in the same fashion you put up your flag. My people were brutalized by the hands of rednecks and white hoods for not having blue eyes. My brown skin makes me a target for swinging from trees like an ethnic ornament. My Lord, please, forgive these white devils, for they know not what they are doing. And while you're at it, please forgive the deliverant who never knows what he's doing.